Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Over the journey of planning our church, especially my wife and I, we went through a, a season where a lot of anxiety and fear came into our lives and, and played a large part in what we were doing. And, um, and it wasn't just the fact that we were planning a church. Like, that's scary enough. But there were lots of external things that happened um, and caused fear and anxiety rear its head in our lives. And I very quickly realized that um, without some things in place in my life, I would never get freed from this. And it has, fear and anxiety have some really bad um, effects on not just your emotional state, but on your physical state, on your spiritual state. Everything that uh, makes you a person is affected by, often by your fear and anxiety. And so I want to look into that a little bit tonight. Um, But it's not just a thing that, like, you, you, like you experience once or twice or even a few times. It's, it's actually a plague that's, that hit, that's hit our world. Uh, Billy Graham said this about our generation. He said, historians will probably call our era the age of anxiety. You've got the Stone Age, you've got the Ice Age, and then you've got our era, the age of anxiety. What a thing to be known as, the age of anxiety. If you do hashtag anxiety on Instagram, there are two million, uh, four million. 526,199 posts that just have hashtag anxiety. Anxiety and fear are really a plague in our society. They, they, are, they, they are rife throughout our culture. And I think as Christians, um, we should really be the forerunners and the leaders in how to get over our fear and anxiety. I, I don't think it should be something that we're riddled with in life. I actually think we're called to be overcomers. The Bible says that it, it commands us not to be riddled with fear and anxiety. In, in 2 Timothy, it says, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. He gave you a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. It says in, in Philippians 4, it says, do not be anxious about anything. It's a command. Don't be anxious. Yet, it's so easy to fall into the trap. It's so easy to let fear riddle our lives. It's so easy to fall into the trap of being anxious about things. And so tonight, I want to look at four principles that um, God gave me when I was battling uh, the anxiety in my life. And they come from a story in, in the Old Testament um, of, a, of a guy named King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So if you've got your Bibles or your iPhones, or your iPads, you can get them out and look up 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And in this passage, we've got this guy named King Jehoshaphat. He's the king of Judah, which is a small but great nation. Uh, and they're, they're doing some great things. King Jehoshaphat's a great leader. But he hears at the very start of this story that three armies, three nations, that in their own individual rights are quite large nations already. They're, they're already much more significant than the nation of Judah. He hears that all three of these have teamed up, they've made an alliance, and they're coming against the nation of Judah, his nation. And, and so the Bible says that he is filled with fear. There's a word in there that's the word yara, or yara, and it, it's where it says he was afraid. And it means this, when you translate it correctly, it means deep-rooted anxiety. He was filled with deep-rooted anxiety. It's not just he's a little bit afraid, but he's a lot afraid. And so I want to read tonight this story and, and just pull four things out of that story uh, tonight. Second so Chronicles chapter 20. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meonites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat that a great multitude is coming against you from Edom. 
from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazam Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was in afraid. He was filled with deep-rooted anxiety. And he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord from all the cities of Judah that they came to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid. Then Jehoshaphat was filled with deep-rooted anxiety. And when that thought came to him, when someone came to him and sparked this thought, these armies are coming against us. The thought of these armies in their individual rights could wipe us out. But now there's three of them. They've teamed up. We've got no chance. He's sitting in his palace, maybe in his, in his big study. I don't know where he is. He's got an overview of the whole kingdom. I don't know. And someone comes in. The, the first thing that happens to him is this thought enters his mind. This thought of, an, of three armies coming towards him. It's a very real, it's a very imminent threat. And so the first thing I would say, the first principle you need to put in place in your life if you want to overcome anxiety and fear when it rears its head is you need to trap the thought. Trap the thought. Turn to your neighbor and say, trap the thought. Every single bit of fear and anxiety in yours and my life, every single bit starts with a thought. Your, your thoughts are a seed to fear and anxiety. They're, your thoughts are a seed to joy. Your thoughts are a seed to happiness. Your thoughts are, are a seed to worry. Your thoughts are the seeds that control our emotions. Everything in life starts with a seed. A plant starts with a seed. The seed for a, a, a virus is a germ. The seed for a house is a deposit. The, the seed for your emotions is, is a thought. Even you and I started with a seed. The seed for a human is the sperm. We all st everything starts with a seed. I thought they'd get a laugh. <laughs> You're a really mature group. My, my church, they nearly wet themselves. You're a very mature church. Very, very, very settled. Very, it's very good. I'm, 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 proud of, I'm proud of Pastor Ben. He's doing some good things. He's doing some good things here. You guys aren't immature at all. We'll have a word, guys. Lana. <laughs> This, the, th the thing is this, the longer you carry the, the thought, the seed of a thought, the more it gets planted in your life, the more you think on that seed of a thought, the more it grows, the more you water it. And, and the, the healthier it grows, the longer it stays around, the healthier the anxiety gets, the more of a, a stronghold, the deeper the roots go in your life. And we wonder so often, I'm not sure if it's the same here, but most of the requests for prayer in our church are about fear and anxiety. Most of the requests for prayer in any church or any scenario where I've prayed for people are about fear and anxiety in their lives. It's something that we just can't get over. And it all starts with the thought, we've got to trap the thought. And, and the key thing to understanding the whole trapping of the thought starts with knowing what the thought is. You see, you've got to understand whether it's a real thought or a perceived thought. See, a real thought is this, an army coming against you. A real thought is a test result. A real thought is a hard copy. A real threat has evidence. It's a word-for-word -word conversation. But, but a perceived threat that starts the thought is I saw those people talking and looking at me. Oh, I don't know. I think that person doesn't like me. They didn't talk to me today when I came in. I've got a cough, a sore throat, 
a bit of a rash on my back. I Googled those symptoms. Have you ever done Dr. Google? Dr. Google's the best, isn't he? <laughs> He's one of the best doctors I've known. He's a horrible doctor. I've been convinced I've had cancer many times. And then I go to the doctor. No, you don't have cancer. I came back from Africa. You're Ebola. I was in, I was in Africa once and I, I um, had this little orphan boy sitting on my knee and um, he, we'd been out playing soccer in this field that was just really rough ground and he'd cut his foot. I didn't realise. He's sitting on my knee. I had a really big cut on my leg. Uh, he's sitting there he, on my knee, colouring in. I looked down at my leg and his blood was on my leg where my cut was, which was also an open wound. Later that day, I found out that boy had HIV. And so I, I go back into the house and I'm freaking out a little bit. Uh, they told me, oh no, don't worry, don't worry, you're doing the Lord's work, it's okay, it's okay. It's <laughs> a bit silly. <laughs> Get back to Australia, life goes on, I forget a little bit about it, because they say you've got to wait three months to test, like you can't just go and test. Wait three months. So I'm back in Australia, living life. Like at the two month and two weeks point, I get a bit of a cold. It's like man flu bad. I'm, I'm out. And I'm sitting there and I'm, th- and I'm thinking, this doesn't feel just like a, a cold. And I, th- I start Googling my symptoms. Do you know what the top, top response was? HIV. Flashbacks start filling my mind. That boy was sitting on my knee, his blood. I need to go to the doctor. I went to the doctor, got my blood tested at three months. I, I don't have HIV, by the way. You're safe with me. <laughs> you can drink out of the same drink bottle as me. It's okay. <laughs> I don't have it. But... But the thing was, I had this perceived thought. It was probably a bit of a real threat. But so often in life, we let little perceptions, little thoughts take our attention and they consume us and we get fear and anxiety riddling us. And most of the cases I deal with in church life aren't real threats at all. They're from perceived threats that someone's read too much into a situation and when they've read into it, they've shoot on it and shoot on it. They haven't talked about it. They haven't seen counsel yet. They just keep thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And if they had have just trapped the thought right back at the start, it would have been dealt with. But it ro- ro- snowball effect and it, it took control. We need to begin to trap the thought that's been trapping us because the thoughts trap us. It says this in, in 2 Corinthians. It says, We destroy every argument and every lofty thought and opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Destroying anxiety and fear starts by taking captive the thought. The word captive means to take prisoner, to take hostage, to make it a slave. You need to trap the thought in your life. I don't know what fear or anxiety is riddled in your life. I don't know what's coming up, what situations you're dealing with or what situations you're going to deal with. But the, the first thing, the first obstacle you're going to have to get past is trapping the thought. King Jehoshaphat, in the story, he captures the thought. He traps the thought. He's got this person who comes to him and says, three armies are coming your way. He could have been like, whoa, what, what, woe is us. We're dead. He, he, could have, he could have called the nation to go into hiding, go underground. Let's, let's pack all our belongings. Let's run. Because of this one thought. But he doesn't. He takes it captive. And this is how he does it. And Philippians gives us a look into how to do it, by the way. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything but prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your hearts be made known to God. And the peace of God, which you need when you're filled with anxiety, transcends your understanding, the things that you think is going on, our limited understanding. And it guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And we normally finish there. 
But in Philippians, Paul goes on, he goes, finally, it keeps going. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about those things. Don't be anxious. Think about these things. Stop thinking about all the stuff, the perceived thoughts or the threats that's coming your way. Just think about anything that's excellent. Think about anything that's worthy of praise. Distract your thoughts. Everything in fear and anxiety would stop if we started doing that at the very start. You've got to trap the thought. King Jehoshaphat, he he gets everyone together and he starts saying, Oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms and the nations of the world. In your hand is power and might. And he goes on to talk about things that God has done for the nation. He talks, he talks about, about how God had delivered them from their captivity. He talks about how God gave them the land they were in right there and then. He talks about how God caused the inhabitants of that land to flee. He talks about all these things that God had been able to do. Some of us in this room who are dealing with anxiety and fear, we just need to ride on the testimony of some other people. God, if you could do it back then, if you could do it for that person, you can do it for me. God, I know that you brought us into this land. God, I know you were able to do this. I know that you were able to help us uh, attack armies that were greater than us in the past. I know that you were able to help me beat someone else, beat anxiety. I know that you were able to heal a friendship. I know that you were able to heal sickness. I've seen you do it. Or you've done it in someone else's life and I believe you can do it now. He traps the thought. He distracts it and just declares that God's bigger, God's greater. So the first thing we've got to do is trap the thought. The next thing we've got to do is turn, the, turn our head. Turn your head. When anxiety and fear starts to fill your soul and all you can see is the situation coming up over the horizon, getting closer and closer and closer. Because the more you think about your problem, the bigger it gets, really. The more your situation gets closer and closer, the more those three armies approach. I've got to turn my head. I can't fix my eyes on the problem anymore. I've trapped the thought and now I turn my head and I fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. I turn my eyes to Jesus, the, calm, the person who calms storms. I turn my eyes and fix, turn my head to Jesus, the guy who walks on water. I turn my head to Jesus, the one who feeds the multitudes. I turn my head to Jesus, the one who created me. I turn my head to Jesus, the one who can still the storm in my life. You've got to turn your head. He does this in in verse 12. It says that, he says, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. King Jehoshaphat, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. He was waiting for the command of God. He was waiting for the direction of of his God to say, here, this is what you got to do. When we turn our head, it takes our eyes off the problem. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, it takes our eyes off the problem and fixes it on the solution. The very thing that can take our situation. The very thing that's Lord over everything. The more you look at the problem, the bigger it gets. And what happens when we look to God, when we turn our head, is this. God speaks. He's like, finally. Why why weren't you looking to me before? Why were you looking at this thing? It's even only a perceived threat. You don't have the bird's eye view that I've got. Finally, you're looking to me. And that's what happens in this story. 
God speaks. When, they, when He says, our eyes are on you, God says this, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. I love it. The very thing He tells them to do is the very thing that would be natural. Don't be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, it's mine. Stop trying to fight it on your own, God's saying. The battle's in my hands. You're not going to have to do a thing. It's, it's all mine. And he goes on. He starts addressing, I think he would say some of the same things to us in our fear and anxiety. He says this in verse 16, Tomorrow, go down against them. Hang on a second. You just said the battle's yours. God, no, 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 no. Hang on a second. Back up, back up, back up, back up. You just said it. Don't worry. Don't be dismayed at this great horde. The battle's not yours. It's mine. You take it. I don't want it. That's what I'd be saying. But he says, no, tomorrow. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they're going to come up against you. You'll find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. I don't want to face the armies. But you know what? Sometimes what God wants to do in overcoming our fear and anxiety is make us face our fears. Make us meet them face to face. Sometimes it's to prove that the perceived threat isn't really a threat at all. But sometimes it's to show us that the real and imminent threat is far weaker than His greatness. And so He brings us face to face with our fear, with our anxiety. But you've got to keep remembering the very first thing He said, the battle isn't yours, it's mine. The victory's already been won. He's got it. And that's what He says in verse 17. He sort of reminds them because He said, tomorrow go, and they're probably freaking out. So then in verse 17, He comes back and He says, you're not going to need to fight this battle. Stand firm. When you get to the end of the valley and you see them coming your way, when your problems come in faster and faster, it's getting bigger and bigger. Stand firm. Hold your position. See the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. The Lord will be with you. You're going to want to run. You're going to want to turn around. Head back and go into hiding. You might even want to make a deal with the enemy, make an alliance with the enemy. You might want to, to uh, um, sacrifice eternal victory for momentary victory, for momentary peace, just by making an alliance with the enemy. I'll bow down to this fear. We'll serve you. Don't kill us and our wives and our family. That's what they could have done as the army approached as it didn't look like they were going to be able to beat it and didn't look like God was going to do much. But God's just saying, just remember, as it advances, I've got your back. As it advances, stand firm. Stand firm in your pain. Stand firm in your misery. Stand firm in your job loss and your job search. Stand firm in your financial woes. Stand firm. Stand firm in your seeking. Stand, stand firm in the betrayal. Stand firm in, 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 when everyone else is against you. Stand firm. Because I've got your back. Stand firm. Aren't you glad we've got a God, the God of heaven and earth, who wants to be with us in our trials? <laughs> the God who created the heavens and the earth is with us. Could have trapped the thought, turn our head, fix our eyes on the author, the third thing you've got to do is train your tongue. Train your tongue. Verse 18 says, Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and his inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. 
Sometimes you do everything that God's called you to do. Sometimes you've done everything. You've obeyed Him. You've done everything His Word says. And you get to the end of what it seems is the end. And there's nothing left to do but to praise. There's nothing left to do than to worship Him. There's nothing left to do than to sing His praise. Psalm 22.3 says, You are holy, enthroned on the praises of your people. Other versions say you inhabit the praises of your people. When you and I praise Him, it opens the door for His presence to flood our situation, to flood our lives. That's why we sing every week in church. Because it opens up the presence of God. When Jesus died on the cross, He cried out, It is finished. The veil in the temple tore in two and God's presence left the box. It was now available to everyone. But it's available when we praise Him. He floods a situation when we praise Him. Verse 19 and 20, it says, And the Levites, the Kohathites, and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. I love that, with a very loud voice. When facing the situation, praise needs to come first. Before the army went out, before they took their weapons, because I'm sure they would have had their weapons, they had their army there. They would have had their spears, they would have had their bows and arrows and their shields. But before you go out and fight the battle in your own strength, send out praise. Before you go and get a lawyer, send out praise. Before you sell your house, send out praise. Before you look for a new job, send out praise. Before you start to pull out all your investments from the stocks in Britain, send out praise. Before you go and speak to that person, send out praise. Praise. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 22 and 23 says this, And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. They helped to destroy one another. When you and I praise in the midst of the battle, when you and I praise when fear and anxiety is rife, when you and I praise when it doesn't make sense, praise sends the enemy into confusion. The enemy thinks that he's gotcha. I think it's so funny. He thinks he's gotcha. Oh, look, they don't know what to do. Oh, they're so worried about this situation. All they can think about is this. Yes, we got them. And then we start to say, holy is, God. holy is the Lord. He's greater than my weakness. He's great in this situation. I'm just going to lift my hands and sing, even though I don't feel like it. I'm going to get down on my knees and press in a little bit deeper. I'm going to, I'm going to lift His name high, even though it doesn't make sense. And when I lift His name high, my enemy gets confused and they start to attack each other. I love it. These three armies, they're going out to find the army of Judah and they end up killing each other off. I love it. Your anxiety can't stand sure and strong in true heartfelt worship. Because when you start to think about something greater than yourself, when you start to lift the name of something greater than yourself, all your little problems that we think are so great begin to fade away. We've got to praise. We've got to train the tongue. I love the fact, and for those of you who don't think that anxiety is an enemy of God, this is the definition of an enemy of God. 
something that aligns itself against God. Can I tell you that there are so many verses in the Bible that say, do not be afraid, do not be anxious for anything. It's a command, not a suggestion. That, that if you have anxiety in your life, it's most likely, actually it's definitely an enemy of God. You, we let enemies of God in our lives all the time. And so when we praise, the enemy of anxiety gets confused. It starts running around, chasing its own tail. It doesn't know what to do. It's like a dog that's confused, chasing its own tail. And it ends up dying off. So we trap the thought. We turn our head, fix our eyes. We train our tongue in the language of praise. And the last thing is this. We take the victory. Everyone say, take your victory. Take your victory. Verse 24 says this. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and they looked towards the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. Some of you have been robbed. You've experienced dreams that have been stolen from you, dreams that have been killed. You've experienced the enemy destroy areas of your life because of fear and anxiety. But when everything's said and done, when, when we overcome the battle of fear and anxiety by trapping that thought, by turning our head and fixing our eyes on Jesus, by training our tongue in the language of praise, at the end of the day when it's all said and done, God restores that which the enemy stole. Time and time again throughout the Bible we see it, that God restores everything the enemy stole from his people. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you're his people. If you believe in Jesus, you're his child. He wants to restore. He wants to bless. There are some enemies in our lives that the enemy steals from all the time. Maybe he's stolen your peace. Maybe he's stolen relationships. Maybe he's stolen aspirations, goals, or dreams. Maybe he's stolen confidence. Maybe he's stolen your sense of joy. I don't know what he's stolen, but can I tell you this? This one promise is that when we trap the thought, fix our eyes, and train the tongue, we get to take the victory. It's a timeless principle. It's something that the, the Bible talks about over and over again. This is just one of the stories. The army of Judah, they come up over the hill. I love it. And they see three armies that have killed each other. And the spoil, which is like what you get at the end of a war, you get to take all the possessions of the other armies. It says on, in verse 25, they were three days in taking the spoil, it was so much. If you trust God through the battle, if you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, if you train your tongue in the language of praise, when we remain faithful to Him and allow His death on the cross to fight our battles, then His resurrection power restores that 
which the enemy stolen, which the enemy's killed, which the enemy has destroyed. Verse 26, I love it. It says, On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Berakah, for there they blessed the Lord. You know, when God brings restoration in your life, when God brings blessing in our lives, when God does that which He's promised us He will do, that's when we've got to bless Him. You've got to bless Him when it doesn't make sense. You've got to praise His name when it doesn't make sense. But even more so, you need to bless Him when He's gone, come through for you. You've got to bless Him when He does that which He's promised to do. How selfish are we sometimes? We pray and we pray and we pray. God, come through. God, can you do this? God, do that, do that. And He does it. We have this great testimony, but we do nothing with it. We walk on. Selfish little humans. If I was God, I'd smite us. Squish us with my finger. That's what I'd want to do. Selfish little human. I did, I did this for you, but that's why I'm not God. That's, that's very good. We're very lucky. There'd be a lot of dead people right there. <laughs> King Jehoshaphat and his army. They assemble back together. They've collected all the spoil. They've collected the riches and the, the possessions and everything that was left over. They've got all this blessing and they'd be excited. But they stop and they praise him. They stop and they lift his name high. Then it continues in verse 26 and it says this, Therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Berakah to this day. Not only did they bless God there on that day, but they set up a monument. And they named the place the Valley of Berakah, which Berakah means blessing. The Valley of Blessing. So that from that day on, everyone from Israel, everyone from Judah would know this is the place that God moved. This is the place He did the impossible. This is the place He blessed us. It was a testimony to the rest of the generations of their, their, their nation. God moved in our, in our nation. He did something that was impossible. There were three armies coming against us. We had no hope. But we didn't run. We, we, didn't, we didn't drop our heads and go into hiding. We trapped the, the thought that they were going to win. We trapped the thought that the enemy was greater than our God. And we decided that we would live based on the testimonies of the generations gone before. And so we're setting up a testimony here and now, the valley of blessing, so that everyone knows that God's a God who comes through. And we, we turned our head. We didn't know what to do. The army was getting bigger. Our situation was getting bigger. Our problem was getting bigger, but we just turned our head and looked to the God who's greater than my circumstances. He's greater than my needs and my problems. We just turned our head. And then we trained our tongue. God said, don't send out the weapons. Don't send out the defenders. World of Warcraft would be in a panic. I don't know if you, I got that app a little while ago. I'm addicted to Clash of Clans. Is it Clash of Clans? Yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah, it's good, huh? I love it. My, my little, it's growing. I don't send out the army of praise because it wouldn't do anything in the app. But in the real world, <laughs> train your tongue. <laughs> Got sidetracked, but we're back. Train your tongue. They go, we're setting up this valley of blessing. We trained our tongue. We stopped everything. 
And we sent out the praises. We sent out the worship team. When it didn't make sense, there were three armies coming at us. But we sent them out singing, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever and ever and ever and ever. And if He did it back then, He can do it now. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep advancing, praising His name, even though it doesn't make sense. And they get up to the top of the hill and they look over the valley where, they, where God said the army will advance in that valley. And all they see is that their enemy is destroyed. And so they get to take their victory. They set up the valley of blessing. Some of us need to set up a valley of blessing in our lives. Where you've been in the valley, where you've been in your darkest moments, where you've been riddled with fear and anxiety, set up the valley of blessing when you take that victory as a monument that in the valley God met you and He pulled you back out. He's a God who honours His promises. Your survival through anxiety and fear isn't so that you can live a happy life. Your blessing isn't so that you can be comfortable. When God blesses us, it's not so that you and I can go around with more money, with more possessions, with more happiness. You're blessed to be a blessing. You're blessed so that the valley tells every generation that comes after you, God's a God of blessing. But my favourite part's this. Verse 29 and 30. You thought it was over. And the fear of God came on all of the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet for his God gave him rest all around. When you can overcome an enemy through the power of God, like anxiety, and fear, it's never going to come back when you do it the way God tells you to. No other nation came against them while King Jehoshaphat lived because he did what God told him to do when the enemy came against him. Stop trying to fight the battle your own way. It doesn't make sense. Stop focusing on the problem. Stop thinking about the thought over and over because most of the time it's just a perceived thought anyway. But even if it is an imminent and real threat, do you know what's a bigger threat to the problem? God. He's greater. So we just need to fight it God's way. Trap the thought. Take it captive. Turn your head. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Run the race keeping your eyes on Him. Train your tongue in a language of praise that says, God, you're greater than this. And at the end, take the victory and know that it's a victory that lasts your lifetime. And anytime it tries to rear its head, you can stamp it out and say, hang on, God already dealt with this. See you later. Anxiety and fear are enemies that understand the power of God. And they don't want you to know that He's powerful. They don't want you to understand the keys to overcoming your anxiety and fear. I I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know if you've got anxiety and fear riddling your life, 
whether at night when you close your bedroom door all you can think about are the issues and you put on a happy face when you come to church or whether everyone knows about your problems because you just wear your heart on your sleeve. I don't know where you're at in this area of anxiety and fear. But can I tell you, God wants to see you through it. We're going to praise right now. I want to invite you tonight. If you have anxiety and fear in your life, I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray that God comes and moves in the situation. But you've got to, you've got to take some steps. Right now, I want you to start thinking, what's the thought? What's the situation? What's the perceived threat? What's the imminent threat? And I want you to take it captive. Either by writing on the testimony of someone else, writing on the Word of God, or just declaring that God's greater. I want to encourage you to turn your head. There's a cross there. Just fix it on the cross. And then as we sing, as we praise God, I want to pray for you that God will come and move and that He'll set an ambush on your anxiety. He'll set an ambush on your fear and He'll declare that no more is it going to be in your life. And then together we're going to take the victory. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.